Day 1. Yelling Gibberish Welcome to the No Yelling Parenting Challenge Advanced Course. I'm so glad you decided to extend the 28-day challenge. Thank you for your trust. This is the first of 28 additional educational episodes, each of which represents a new No Yelling tool for you to use. I promise it's going to be exciting and educational. So let's get down to the first No Yelling tool. Yelling gibberish. If you've noticed your children shout instead of speak and never use their inside voice, then today's advice is for you. If you are a loud family who generally yells a lot, if you yourself are used to louder forms of communication, it's only natural that your children will match your volume. Suddenly, you realize your children yell about everything and generally speak very loudly. Today I'm going to tell you how to gradually make your children talk with a quieter voice and get used to softer, calmer communication. The next time your children raise their voices and start yelling, tell them calmly, Jack, when you yell, I don't understand what you're saying. And stop communicating with them until they lower their tone to a normal inside voice. You can pretend that they start talking gibberish after a certain decibel level. And gibberish is not a language you understand. Give them the chance to adjust their tone. Repeat this exercise every time your children raise their voices. If they're very upset or angry and can't master enough self-control for a conversation, suggest they go and calm down first. Ask them, will you calm down in the bedroom or on the sofa? Give them the time to fully calm down before continuing the conversation. If you're consistent and always react calmly to their yelling, they'll soon realize that calm communication pays off. Try it out and let me know how it goes. I wish you luck. Day 2. Power Choice This is the ace you've always got up your sleeve. You just keep forgetting about it. You can simply decide not to argue. Because you know that disagreements lead to arguments, and arguments lead to raised voices. Put a stop to the situation before it escalates. If the tension starts growing and your child wants to argue with you, take that option away from them. Oh, I can see that you want to argue with me. Well, I don't want to argue with you, and I won't. I'm going over there, so you can't be angry at me. And they can be as angry as a bull. You can practically see the steam coming from their nose. And if they had hooves, they'd be pawing the ground. But then it all goes away. The tension fades and your child functions normally again. You can achieve more than one thing this way. One, you show your child that their tone and attitude aren't acceptable. You can continue the conversation when they've calmed down and are prepared for a rational talk instead of spitting fire. Two, you avoid blowing up. You put an end to the interaction before they got the chance to spite and provoke you into anger. You kept a calm head and remained steady. 3. You remained a good role model. And not just because you stayed calm, rejecting aggressive communication shows them that it's possible for them to do the same. To remove themselves from a potentially stressful, violent or dangerous situation. And this is an important skill for any child to have. The next time your child wants to get into a loud argument with you, simply choose not to participate. Sometimes this decision is enough to stop the yelling in your family. Talk to you soon. Day 3. Avoiding arguments by asking questions. One thing you need to remember is that the conversation is not led by the person who talks more, 
but by the person who asks questions. The interviewer has all the power over how the conversation is conducted and how it will end. Take out the trash, please, you say to your child. Why me? They reply with a question. By answering you with a question, they are trying to avoid doing things they don't want to do or questions they don't want to answer. Because I don't have time and you have to help me out with chores. I always have to argue with you. You never do what I ask you right away. You're caught in a loop and are now spending your time and energy on explanations that do not work. But why do I have to do it? Why not Spencer? They've taken the conversation away from its original purpose by asking questions. And now you have to deal with your daughter who is angry with her brother. Many children pick up on this trick and use it to their advantage. This way, they avoid things they don't want to do or questions they don't want to answer. Leading the conversation. One way to avoid unnecessary discussions is to start the conversation yourself. Not all the time, of course, but only when you have to deal with a child who wants to get out of whatever you're asking them to do. And how do you do that? When a child starts to answer your questions with questions, redirect the conversation back to where you want it to go. Mom, can I go out with some friends tonight? You can go if you tell me who you're going with and what you'll be doing. Why do you need to know that? Don't you trust me? By asking about trust, your child wants to avoid the conversation because there's a lot at stake. One wrong answer and they'll probably have to stay at home. That's why they will do everything they can to get off the thin ice. Don't let them trick you. Lead every question back to the beginning of the conversation. Tell me where you're going and what you'll be doing and then we can talk about trust. What? I can't ask you about things like that anymore? Of course you can. First, answer my question. When they realize that you've caught on, they'll give up. Remember, that it's normal for a child to try to take control of themselves and their surroundings as they grow up. This comes from their inner need to make their own choices. After all, your child is approaching adulthood and a time when they will really be able to make decisions for themselves. Don't let this frustrate you. I wish you lots of successful conversations from today onwards, with less yelling. Day 4. What instead of why? You probably often use questions like these. Why didn't you wash the dishes? Why are you behaving like this? Why did you fail that test? Questions that start with why. These questions are about looking for the culprit and the reasons for the situation. The truth is that you already know the answers to these questions. They didn't do the dishes because they wanted to watch TV. They are sulking because they didn't get what they wanted. They failed the test because they didn't study. Asking why hasn't given you any new knowledge or insight, nor has it changed or resolved the situation. You need questions that point you towards a solution, not towards finding the culprit. Finding a solution instead of a culprit. By asking what, we are moving towards a real solution, instead of looking for someone to blame and going around in circles. Ask the question in such a way that it will help you find a solution. What are you going to do now? What are we going to do about it? What are you going to change? By asking what, we are pointing away from the unproductive spinning in a vicious circle of negative feelings and moving towards finding a solution. The following scenario may help you. Your daughter is in a hurry to get to dance practice. Since your bike is outside, she borrows yours. 
Two hours later, she calls you and says, Mom, your bike has been stolen. Normally in such a situation, you would go crazy. You didn't use the lock, did you? Why didn't you pay more attention? How many times did I tell you? The argument will drag on forever. Unfortunately, the information that she didn't use the lock will not return the bike. The problem will remain. It would make more sense to ask the right questions, one that leads to a possible solution. Therefore, you should ask, what are we going to do now? She will stammer that she doesn't know. So continue. First, go find your teacher and tell her what happened. They may have security cameras. Then we'll call the police together. She will redirect the energy that would normally be spent on apologizing towards finding a solution. She might even think, I'll make flyers about the missing bike and stick them near the hall. Or, I'll write a Facebook post about the missing bike and maybe someone will know more. In any case, you have now diverted the conversation to solving the problem rather than finding the culprit. And that's how all problems are solved, with the right question. So, use the WH question as they will enable you to, one, not waste energy on questions you already know the answer to, two, shift your and your child's focus to finding a solution, not the culprit, and three, avoid unproductive arguments and resentments. I wish you successful problem-solving with less arguments. Day 5. Telephone Orders It's almost impossible to get the attention of a child who's engrossed in a cartoon or hanging out with friends. In addition to repeating their name and shouting, there is a more subtle way to get them to answer you, by using telephone orders. Telephone order. Children nowadays work like smartphones, responding to touch and tag. They need a strong signal, one that will shake them out of their imaginary world. There are two ways to do this. One, touch. As soon as you make a request, gently touch your child. And two, tag. Use a specific word tag before making a request. For example, task, important, challenge, assistance. This way, you'll be able to redirect your child's attention to your words with a clear signal without fidgeting and ineffective repetition. Let's take a look at how you can use phone orders in practice. Touch. It's time to go home with your daughter. This time, instead of communicating your intention by calling her name, use touch. Go to the sandpit, touch your daughter's shoulder and say to her, Mia, we're going home. Put away the shovel and bucket and say goodbye to Alex. A touch on the shoulder will be a sign that you're close, that you want something from her and that she needs to respond immediately. You will use two sensory signals that will get your child's attention faster. Tag. Use a short word or phrase to emphasize the urgency of your request. Tim. Mission. Can you help me do the dishes, please? Or, Anna, important, can you do the laundry and take out the trash? It sounds different from your usual requests, so they will stand out and your child is more likely to hear you. Try out both ways and find out which phone order your child is more receptive to, touch or tag. You'll be amazed at how small changes in communication can make your child more obedient, and you won't have to lose your voice in the process. I wish you good luck. Day 6. Conquering Arguments Together Not a day passes without at least one squabble among siblings. You'd have enough material for a soap opera if you recorded all the arguing and hair-pulling. It's impossible to entirely prevent siblings from fighting, but you can stop them from getting out of control. Cooperation despite disagreement 
children need to be taught that despite disagreeing, they can still talk to each other in a calm and civil manner. The sooner they learn this, the better. As adults, they will also have to be able to communicate effectively with people they disagree with. Next time your children are arguing, try out these two techniques and teach them that the faster they cooperate, the sooner they'll reach an agreement. One, joined at the wrists. If your children are arguing, take a bandage and tie their wrists together. Tell them, if you don't get along, you obviously don't spend enough time together. They have to stay tied together the entire time, even when going to the bathroom. They'll find the situation uncomfortable. Therefore, they'll quickly calm down and settle their argument. Two, time intervals. Your youngest child wants to play with their brother's fire engine, but he won't lend it to him. All you have to do is take the toy and put it away out of reach. Tell them that the toy will stay there until they reach an agreement. After they agree to take turns playing with the toy, give them the kitchen timer to help them keep track. Both of them will play with the toy, but in their own time, the one who hasn't played with it longest should have the first turn. The kitchen timer will announce when they have to exchange the toy. Try both methods and find out which one is more effective with your children. They're great techniques. If used consistently, your child will learn how to better cooperate and communicate, even in the face of disagreements. And best of all, they'll give your nervous system a break. Until tomorrow. Day 7. The car keys or the key to success. Have you discovered that you constantly have to remind and nag at your children to get dressed or pack and stop dawdling before leaving the house? Come on, we're in a hurry. Get out here now. We're going to be late. We go through this every single day. Can't we for once just manage to leave the house like a normal family? The technique you use in these situations is using the car key as bait. It works especially well with boys, but girls also respond well. Whoever gets ready first can unlock the car and put the key in. Or, if you're fast enough, you can unlock the car and even turn it on. It works exceptionally well, being allowed to press a button and if the car makes a beep-beep noise, well, that's even more fun. It's a great motivator because they get the feeling they're doing something very grown-up and they'll never let an opportunity like that slip. Just make sure they've done everything they needed to do before driving off. That means bags in the car, clothes and shoes on everybody, and before the key turns in the ignition, everyone is also buckled in and ready to go. I'm generally not a supporter of bribing, but this kind of bribe, with an experience, an adventure, even something as small and common as this, is educationally valid, useful and effective. I hope you'll manage to leave the house more quickly than before. Good luck. Day 8. Kitchen Timer how to shorten your evening routine, stop your children from resisting and charging around? Stressful evenings are the most common time for yelling. It was a long day and you're tired and all you want is for the day to end. But the kids don't want to go to bed, don't want to sleep, don't want the day to be over. A technique to try out is to set a time limit, not by saying 10 minutes until bedtime, but by setting the noisy egg-shaped kitchen timer. Suddenly, they have a physical representation of the time passing, and they also know the alarm will ring. Above all, they can't tell the clock five more minutes. When it rings, it's over. Some children work better under pressure, and this also applies to homework. Racing against the clock is also a challenge children enjoy. 
if you have more than one child, setting the timer is a better option than just saying, who'll be first? Because chances are, neither want to go to bed, so they'll just keep playing together and you won't achieve anything. All you have to say is, this is how much time you have, nothing else. You can add that if they're ready five minutes earlier, they'll be able to listen to their bedtime story for five minutes longer. I guarantee they'll quickly finish their evening routine. Talk to you soon. Day 9. Look, a policeman. Your youngest son is wreaking havoc. He's decided to play with his sister's stuffed bear and is now trying to take it from her by force. Persuasion isn't working and now you need something innovative to distract them from their goal. The solution is to divert their attention. Diverting attention. In a situation where your child is incessantly stubborn, divert their attention to something they like. Occupy their thoughts with questions about their interests. By distracting them, you'll also regain control of the situation. The little boy from the example above might like policemen. If you hear a siren in the middle of his outburst, you can divert his attention to that. Andy, can you hear that? Is it an ambulance or the fire brigade or is it a police car? He'll forget about wanting his sister's toy even before you finish talking. He'll stand by the window trying to figure out who the sirens belong to. You might be in the middle of an endless argument with your child. If they love Vikings, for example, use this topic and end the argument. You know what? It seems today we won't be able to reach an agreement. Tell me something about Vikings instead. If they hesitate, ask them more specific questions to engage them in conversation. Who's your favorite Viking? Or what do you like about Vikings the most? I assure you that they'll forget about everything else in an instant and start telling you all there is to know about their favorite topic. There are many benefits from knowing your children very well. It helps develop a close and loving relationship and it facilitates successful methods of diverting their attention in the middle of an outburst. I hope this method becomes your go-to no-yelling tool for preventing outbursts and stubbornness. Good luck. Day 10. The Crocodile. I'm going to give you an example of how I react to children saying no. No, don't want to. But how come? Notice a question. I just won't and I don't care. And have you thought about what will happen later? Another question. No, and I'm not going to. How's that? You won't think of anything at all? Do you recognize the pattern? No, not about anything. You won't even think about the crocodile? What crocodile? Aha, uh -huh, you've got them. You see, now you're thinking about the crocodile, so you're already thinking about something. While we're at it, let's also think about how to solve this problem. How can I help you? The joke about the crocodile, or any other animal or object that has nothing to do with the conversation, always works, because as soon as you mention it, your child can't help thinking about it. You're also thinking about a crocodile now. You can't help yourself. And so you diffuse the situation like letting air out of a balloon. Humor can be used to soften or even entirely avoid many conflicts. Obviously, it's not appropriate for serious situations or talking about difficult topics, but it can help enormously in everyday disagreements, small arguments and misunderstandings. The problem that keeps coming up causing you distress can instantaneously be solved by making a joke. One mother wrote to me saying that her child talks back a lot and always resists. She asked him to take out the rubbish, and this was his answer. I won't take out the rubbish. I'm not your bin man.
Naturally, this annoyed her. I advised her to tell him to put on his Spider-Man costume, and that way he won't be a bin man, but a Spider-Man. She thought I was joking, and that it wouldn't work. The next time she told him to do this, the child happily ran up to the attic to get his costume and dressed as Spider-Man, ran back to the kitchen to take out the rubbish. The task had been taken care of, and the potential yelling match had been avoided. I'm curious to know which words and topics you use to handle tense conversations. Think about which topics do your children respond to the most, and what kind of humour do you favour in your family. And I'll talk to you soon. Day 11. The Source of Conflict If siblings are arguing about a toy that belongs to both of them, there is a very simple solution. Remove the cause of the disagreement and take the toy away. Naturally, you can become irritated because they are being mean to each other and not sharing. You can yell at them to stop already and stop arguing, but that most likely won't help. Children have to learn how to get what they want without aggression and conflict. They have to find a way for them both to play with a toy. It doesn't matter if they play with it together, if they take turns, or if one of them discovers that they didn't actually want to play with it that badly. If neither child is at a disadvantage, I suggest you always let them work it out themselves. Taking the toy from them should encourage them to come to some agreement so that you'd return it to them as soon as possible. If they can't come to an agreement, too bad, they won't get their toy back yet. It's important that you don't hover over them, controlling the way they talk to each other. Independent conflict resolution should be exactly that, independent. Your children definitely won't talk to each other the same way if you're standing next to them, watching them, than if you simply remove the toy, putting it somewhere out of reach, and continue with your day. You should, of course, stay close enough to stop the situation getting out of hand, but it most likely won't. They'll discover that if they don't reach an agreement, neither will get the toy. The same applies to the TV. Simply take away the remote control, and everything else siblings argue about and are both entitled to. Until tomorrow. Day 12. Hard Boundaries Today I'd like to give you some advice that'll be useful in the event your child hits you or becomes aggressive. Usually it's the mother who suffers the first blows when your child is frustrated or angry. A child very rarely hits their father. One of the reasons for this is that children, statistically speaking, spend more time alone with their mother than their father. Children also have a different attitude towards their mothers. For a long time they thought they were the same person. They don't feel as if their mother is superior to them, because they still think they're equal. Physical violence in children is an expression of helplessness, frustration and anger. This has to be understood, but also dealt with clearly and decisively, because there's no excuse or room for negotiation when it comes to violence. In these situations, there are two appropriate responses. One, the father or partner should be the one to respond. But not with a slap or aggressive scolding. The father or partner should clearly and calmly tell their child, My dear child, nobody hits my wife, stroke my partner. We can also say to a three-year-old or four-year-old, If someone else came here and tried to hit your mother, would you just stand by and watch? Or would you expect me to do something? I'll always put a stop to it, even if it's you who hits her. And if you see that your little one runs to hit her again, the father should simply surprise them, pick them up, and that's that. Two, in the absence of a father or partner, the mother has to respond decisively, without compromise or hesitation. Tell your child assertively, 
We are not a family that hits each other. The end. Have you got that? Yes, you understand? And don't let up until your child confirms they understand. Your tone and expression can't leave any room for doubt so your child understands that you're 100% serious. The next time your child tries to hit you, catch both of their hands, hold them far enough away so that they can't kick you, and then ask them, Well, what kind of family are we? Tell me out loud. Don't let them go until they tell you that you're a family that doesn't hit each other. So, tell me, do we hit each other or not? When they say no, let them go cautiously. The hitting usually stops after that. Regardless of which response you use, it's important not to punish violence with more violence. And it's equally important to constantly demonstrate good and desirable behavior, day after day. Not to act out like your children do, and to uphold your status as a parent. Following these steps will ensure it. Good luck. Day 13. Messy Meal How often do you argue with your child about food? They don't want to eat vegetables, they'd rather be sick than eat broccoli, they won't touch the salad, they won't eat lentils, and they won't eat anything apart from their favorite food. There's a very fun technique to encourage your child to eat the food they don't like. It's called piggy's dinner. Prepare dinner as usual, including the food your child doesn't like. Let's say they don't want to eat salad. Prepare pasta, sauce, and salad. Instead of setting the table like you usually do, set it with a clean plastic tablecloth, a pot with water, and lemon to wash your hands, and plates with a sauce. Leave the pasta in a big pot and serve the salad in smaller bowls. You're not going to eat with cutlery, but with your clean, bare hands. Tell them that you're about to have piggy's dinner, that every family is only allowed to have it once for each child, and that, when it's over, you must never speak of it again. Your children will happily eat the salad too, because it's all so different and special, and they won't talk about anything else for days after. It sounds so crazy and fun. During your next meal, serve them salad without mentioning it, completely unconcerned, and they'll eat it with the same nonchalance. This technique can be carried out in many different ways, and because of it, there are many satisfied parents and children who now eat salad. Until tomorrow. Day 14. Delayed Consequences We often yell, threaten, and overreact when we feel that we've got to take action straight away, and that we have to warn our child or punish their behavior as soon as something happens, otherwise there won't be any effect. Because you're in a hurry to do things right, because you want your child to know they're doing something wrong, you often raise your voice or make unrealistic threats, for which you're later sorry. You should always warn your child straight away, every time some unwanted behavior occurs, but you don't have to hurry punishing them. Criticism is often enough of a consequence for your child to understand. Punishment should be thought through and fair, so it's not a good idea to yell it in anger. You can say, I don't allow that. We'll talk about the consequences later. That's not acceptable behavior. This conversation isn't over and we'll talk more about the consequences later. You're not allowed to do that. It's not acceptable. There'll be consequences, but I still have to decide what they'll be. It's important you notice the behavior and respond to it straight away. If you take your time, the measures you take later will certainly be more respectful, calmer, and educational. Of course, this doesn't apply to life-threatening situations from which you have to remove your child immediately. Good luck. Day 15. It's a deal. As parents, 
we often face our children's attempts at manipulation and emotional blackmail. They usually do this to get a new toy, spend more time on their phone, go to bed later, or spend longer playing with their friends. Sometimes you have the option of complying congruently with teaching them that they can't get something for nothing. For example, you argued earlier, but in the evening your child still asks you, everyone went to the playground, can I go too? Based on your argument earlier, they know that going out now is a privilege you can either allow or forbid. You can answer, look, we had an argument earlier and now you want to go out? I don't know about that. What are you prepared to offer in exchange? They can promise to do extra chores, study more, do a good deed, help more often, or take on a new responsibility. Let's say that trying to get your child to leave the playground and come home is also a recurring problem. You can go out if we agree now that playground time is from 5 to 7 and not a minute longer. So we never argue about going home again. And from now on, whenever you go out, you also take out the trash. Does that sound fair to you? It's best if they get what they want after doing the chore you agreed on, not before. This method can be used in different ways, especially when your child is at a disadvantage and wants something from you. Grab the opportunity and make the most of the situation. The next time your child wants something you feel they haven't earned, instead of arguing and lecturing them, ask what they're prepared to do in return. This method is suitable for all ages, but take into account their capabilities as well as current responsibilities and privileges. Try it out and good luck. Day 16. Soft speech. I've always said that you, the parents, are the thermostat of the family. The mood is completely dependent on you. But who is your thermostat? Who helps and guides you? How can you make sure things don't get too heated? How is it even possible to remain constantly focused on your voice and not losing control in tense conversations? A great trick is for your child to be your guide by always trying to speak more softly than them. This achieves three things. One, you'll remain focused on the volume and tone of your voice and so it'll be harder to lose control. Two, you won't be the main culprit for loud conversations and violent tones. And three, you'll encourage your child to speak softly too because they'll try to adjust their tone to yours. This way you can calm each other down. You don't overstep any boundaries and your child also lowers their voice when they notice that you're still speaking softly. It's natural to try and adjust our tone throughout the conversation and maintain the energy level. Try this tomorrow and see what happens. Talk to you soon. Day 17. The swearing jar. An old trick that you might already have heard of is the swearing jar. Every time your child uses a bad word or swears by accident, a coin is put in the jar. You don't have to use coins specifically. With young children, you can also use the tokens we discussed in the 28-day challenge. But if your children already get some of their own money, using it will hurt them the most. We have to add another trick to this method, especially with swearing. The rules of the swear jar applies to everybody. To parents and grandparents, to your youngest and oldest children, to everybody. Because the truth is that your children continue using swear words knowingly after the preliminary phase of simply trying them out when they are very young and rest assured that they know exactly what they mean and they're using them on purpose. We can presume that they hear some of these words at home. Yes, sometimes you slip up, you drop something, 
receive bad news, or maybe a family member has an extensive vocabulary, and yet you have to teach them by setting a good example. The easiest way to do this is to make sure you're all in the same boat. The swear jar gets topped up as soon as someone, anyone, swears. Every single time it happens. The money in the swear jar should then be donated to a charity or animal shelter or anywhere for a good cause. If you end up using the money for something fun, you might achieve the opposite effect. If your child started using profanity more frequently, or they've been using it for a while, I suggest you make the swear jar today. Instead of getting upset and raising your voice at your child, simply point to the jar every time they say a bad word. Once they see the swearing is followed by unpleasant consequences, inappropriate words will quickly disappear from their vocabulary. I wish you lots of luck and nerves of steel. Day 18. Letters for screen time. In email number 13 explained messy meal, a method to help expand your children's palate and make even the pickiest eaters try something new. It works wonderfully with younger children, and today I'm going to reveal how to achieve the same outcome with older children, using the example of not eating green salad. If they already own a phone, computer, tablet, great. One gram of lettuce for one minute of screen time. Start with 20 grams. It doesn't sound like much, but you'll see that it's almost the same as a small salad in a restaurant. They want more screen time? No problem. Add another 10 grams of lettuce. You can use lettuce, carrots, fruit, or anything they don't eat enough of. One gram for one minute, without fail and without exception. Prepare an upper limit, too, in case they suddenly decide to eat only lettuce for breakfast, lunch, and dinner to secure hours and hours of screen time. Best of luck. Day 19. A cry for help. In a situation where you don't know how to react, what the next step should be, or what might calm the situation down, you can always ask, how can I help you? Children putting up a fight and not cooperating usually stems from two reasons. They aren't capable, meaning they can't, or they don't want to. Using this question covers the first option. If they can't do it, they'll tell you what they need to make the task easier for them. You'll help them to feel better prepared, supported, and sure in themselves. If they don't want to, it's also important to know why. Maybe they don't want to do it now, or maybe they don't want to do it the way you decided. Is it important that it happens now? Is it important the task gets done in the exact way you decided? Maybe they simply got up on the wrong foot and need some positive encouragement. Ask them, what will help you manage to do the thing you don't want to do? Their answer could be one of the following. I could start in half an hour after I finish watching my cartoon. It would help me if you go with me. I want my brother or sister to help me. I want to use this or that machine or tool. I want to do it this way, not that way. I'm hungry, so I want to eat first and then do it. If your child isn't used to expressing their difficulties and needs, give them a few suggestions and tell them what you prepare to give and what you expect in return. If there is no specific time limit or need for things to be done the way you want it, reach an agreement with your child. It's not worth the conflict or bad mood to force your child to hoover right now if you're not expecting guests, and it can easily be done in half an hour, for example. This also helps teach your child to express themselves, to say what they need and how they feel. The conversation is positive and cooperative, and you manage to avoid the potential blow-up. Kind regards. 
Day 20. Crocodile Tears One of the most common forms of manipulative child behavior is emotional blackmail through crying. And let's be honest, in most cases, it's their winning strategy. In the end, we either take pity on them or just want the crying to stop, so we give in. We often don't even recognize the difference between real crying and pretend crying. Nonetheless, the difference is very important in order to react correctly. There are three types of crying. 1. Crying without tears is typically emotional blackmail. The child is yelling and pretending to cry when in reality they aren't shedding any tears and their crying is only a theatrical show. 2. Crocodile tears are big, fat tears which they let run freely down their cheeks instead of wiping them away. Their breathing is steady and we can see their feelings are hurt. Their crying is the result of feeling sad, not getting in their way, feeling something wasn't fair. It's not direct manipulation, and neither is it a sign of real distress. 3. Honest crying is recognizable by their unsteady breathing and wiping their tears as they cry. This is real crying, and it means our child is truly upset. In the first two cases, we have to stand our ground and not give in to their manipulation. When talking to a younger child, we can say, Honey, sweetie, Crying isn't going to work, I promise you. I'm sorry, but it's just not happening. You're not going to get whatever caused the crying. Then you can offer them two choices. If the crying started because they want a new toy, a tractor for example, and your child is now making a scene in the middle of the toy shop, you can say, we're not taking the tractor with us today. It has to stay here. Will you put it back now or take it for a walk around the shop first and return it before we leave? If they resolutely won't make a decision, tell them you'll make the decision for them. But then you have to follow through and do it. When they continuously oppose you, disciplinary measures should follow. When your child doesn't do as they're told simply because they don't want to or can't be bothered to, despite being fully capable of following your orders and behaving nicely, you have to take action. Otherwise, they'll continue manipulating you with crying until they're teenagers. To help decide the appropriate consequences and punishments, use the sweet and sour jar method that you tried out in the 28-day challenge. If your child is older, you can reply, look, this plan to try and get your way isn't a good one. This behavior doesn't give me one single reason to listen to you or give you what you want. Trying to manipulate me by crying isn't acceptable and until you stop crying, we have nothing more to discuss. Find a different, more acceptable way to behave and then you can come to me and tell me what you want because then I'll have a good reason to listen to you. When you start behaving differently, we can talk and you can explain what you want and why. The third possible response for children and teens is, if you've still got the same opinion tomorrow, we can discuss it then. And tell them exactly when too. At five o'clock, we can sit down and you can explain what all these tears are about. If it turns out that they don't want to sit down and talk the next day, saying they don't have time, or it doesn't matter now anyway, I think you can surmise that they really were trying to manipulate you. But regardless of what they say, if you can see that they really were hurt by whatever happened, you should encourage them to speak. I can see that it does matter because I can tell something isn't okay. What is it? Good luck. Day 21. Tidying is a game. Today's advice is for parents who have difficulties motivating their children, without yelling, to tidy up their toys, clothes, etc. 
Feelings of autonomy, belonging and independence are some of the most effective feelings that motivate your children. So the next time there's tidying up to be done, loudly announce, I'm authorizing Lucy to be my chief assistant and manager for the next 10 minutes while you tidy up your toys. You can make the same announcement even if you only have one child. Don't worry, there are multiple ways to go about this. They can play the sheriff who is locking up all the toys on the floor, criminals, in the toy box prison. If the toy box is an ambulance, they can play paramedic who's saving all the toys, lying injured on the floor. They can be a superhero, saving the toys from the giants, parents, who will surely step on them, kick them or injure them in some other way. The more equipment you have, the better. Baskets, brooms, wooden spoons, cooking tongs to reach under the sofa, all these things will create a sense of adventure and motivate your children to help. Instead of an irritating chore, you've created an adventure your children can't wait to go on. Additional advice, if toys lying around is a constant problem, I suggest throwing their toys in prison every time you put them away. Your children then have to earn them back. They can do extra housework or homework, help someone, run an errand. This will solve the problem in the long run too. They'll discover that it pays off to clean up after themselves straight away instead of having to do additional work every time they want their toys back. At the same time, you'll save your energy because you won't have to argue over chores anymore. Try it out. Take a photo or two of the fun. Kind regards. Day 22. Connecting instead of forcing. Even adults dig our heels in when we force to do something. How do you feel at the petrol station when you are forced to circle around all the shelves in order to reach the cashier when all you want to do is pay for your petrol? Do you buy anything or do you refuse out of principle? So, how to handle the common problem of your child not wanting to turn off the TV and go to bed? You can fight out a battle of wills, or you can resolve the situation more peacefully. Sit next to them, ask them what they're watching, whether it's interesting, and listen. In a few minutes, notice what the time is. Ah, look at the time. It's already 8 o'clock. I can't believe how quickly the day went by. Because you started the conversation amicably and communication flowed both ways, because you showed your child you're interested and in a good mood, there's a very high chance of them going to bed calmly. Make sure the TV is off tomorrow evening or your child will plan a late bedtime every evening. But think about it. Maybe your child isn't even interested in the TV itself but enjoys sitting next to you, chatting about unimportant things, not schoolwork or chores, every evening. Another hug, some cuddling, and you're on your way to a peaceful bedtime. Sadly, our children don't know how to express this need, so they'll never say, I don't actually care about the TV, I just want to cuddle and feel your presence and love. It's your job to recognize this need and satisfy it, not punish them for it. Needless to say, this method isn't suitable for recurring bad behavior and constantly overstep boundaries. As we learned during the 28-day challenge, you have three options. Relent, offer help, and connecting as a form of help, or enforce your rules. Always try connecting first, and only use force as a last resort. Day 23. A morning without yelling. What helps children of all ages get up in the morning? Don't let the morning just happen. Turn it into a ritual. Children who hate getting up in the mornings should wake up with an alarm, but actually get up with you. It's a two-part process. 
Your children's day can start with a little bit of cuddling and stretching under the duvet. Check the volume and tone of your voice as you wake them up. Shouting and high tones in the morning will only backfire. They'll cover their heads with their pillows and shut you out and keep on snoozing, ignoring you. You'll have to shake them awake, and that only paves the way for more problems. I received a few messages from parents during the 28-day challenge that Sweet Start works wonderfully, especially songs and dancing. One mother mentioned that her daughters have the same favorite song and that they get up to it every morning without any problems. Preschool children often respond most to rhythms that get them going. As mentioned at the beginning, you have to know your children well and use the music that will make them excited. Some people wake up naturally to the sounds of activity in the house. You can do some noisy housework in the morning, vacuuming, cooking, blow-drying your hair. These sounds catch their attention, so they wake up and get out of bed. Just make sure they won't be in a bad mood because your clatter woke them up. But if getting up in the morning has become a never-ending battle and you want things to change, there's another option. Let them experience the natural consequences of them being late. Instead of going to school with school bus, they have to take public transport. They have to copy what they missed in class. They have to go into class late by themselves and explain that they slept in. Missing an exam has consequences. Maybe they'll have to go to school hungry because they slept through breakfast. If you don't let them experience these consequences, you'll spend the rest of your life making sure that they aren't late for work, to catch the plane, to go on holiday, to get to their own wedding on time. Best of luck. Day 24. Partner Signal. If you're raising your child as a couple, you have the chance to agree that your partner signals you when you start raising your voice. This partner doesn't have to be a husband or wife. It can be anyone who is close to you while you're raising your child. A partner can be a safeguard who will notice you becoming upset much sooner than you do. It can be any kind of hand signal, a secret look, a word. The child doesn't even have to know or understand it. This is about you, for you to help and support each other, to eliminate yelling from your parenting. It's important not to redirect your anger at your partner when they signal you, though. It mustn't annoy you even more so as to avoid additional conflict between the two of you. Both of you should accept that this is well-intended help and support and a joint effort towards better parenting and a better future. Good luck. Day 25. Actions speak louder than words. I've mentioned this before and I'll say it again. In parenting, words don't usually carry as much weight as experience. That's why today's advice is, when there is conflict between you and your child, instead of thinking about what to say, think about what to do. In between the verbal fights, the telling off and the arguing, we often find ourselves stuck in a loop of thinking about what to say next, how to answer and which words to use. Which words to choose make your child understand and change their behavior? But be careful. Lecturing your child, family meetings, long speeches and irrational scolding only harm your relationship and clear the way for fiery conversations in the future. To top it all, when the situation gets so out of hand that you're on the verge of yelling, I'm sure your child is in no shape to listen and understand a rational explanation. That's why it's meaningless to try and find the right words, the right sentence or the right threat to change the situation. Instead, think about what you're going to do. What's your next step going to be? Will you, one, help your child and meet them halfway? Two, 
Ease up and do it yourself if it isn't worth a conflict. 3. Hold the boundary you set and insist on your rule and carry out the consequences soon if your child doesn't obey. These are the only three options. As you can see, yelling is not among them because there's no need for yelling if you go about resolving the conflict calmly, respectfully and educationally. The task requires a fair amount of self-criticism and the ability to stop yourself in the moment before blowing up. I wish you the best of luck. Day 26. Forbidden Fruit We often forget how strong a motivator children's curiosity is, as well as their desire for the forbidden and for everything they are still too young for. This energy and desire to be challenged is an excellent way to make your child do something they are not at all motivated to do. How to carry this out? Start with a task, for example, tidying the garage, and invite your child to join you, but just for a specific thing. Let's say to wipe the dust or hold something for you. Let them do something small and simple, then send them away. If you start the situation with a statement, OK, thanks for your help, that's enough, I'll carry on from here because you probably can't do it, it's really very difficult, you'll definitely grab their attention, and they'll now want to do the things they aren't allowed. They've got to get the feeling that the task is very important, not annoying. Don't moan about how tiresome and hard it is, and can only be done by someone grown up, mature and precise. Your child won't want to do anything else than prove to you that they're all those things and fully capable of doing the task, and you've got them. This is one of my favorite methods, and I know that it works very well. Best of luck. Day 27. I want. Mum, I want ice cream. Not today, Amy. But I want it. She stamps her feet and beats her little hands on the table. Your little angel, who until recently did everything you asked, has started loudly and rudely opposing you. Because you feel they are becoming more and more undisciplined, you respond with punishments, yelling and training them to use the word please. But in fact, you have misjudged the cause of their behavior. I want and stomping their feet are the first steps of asserting themselves. Your child has discovered that their will is separate from yours and they have started expressing it. Sadly, they don't yet know how to assert themselves in an acceptable manner. Hence the stomping, hitting and complaining if their wishes aren't met. The solution, therefore, isn't to overpower and suppress their will by punishing them. The solution is to teach your children how to assert themselves in an acceptable way. Expressing themselves. An acceptable way to express what they'd like is by being polite, using a calm tone of voice and respectful words. For example, I would like, can I, may I. Teach them through experience. Respect their wishes when they express themselves politely. I want to go to the shop with you, they demand, stomping their feet. Look at them calmly and say, You're stomping your feet and getting worked up over nothing. You can't come. Your child will hear you, stop stomping, and repeat themselves with a calmer voice. Can I go to the shop with you? Or, I'd like to come with you. Without punishments, yelling and forcing them to say, Please, you've taught them a polite and respectful way to express their wishes. If they start shouting that they want to go swimming, respond without raising your voice. You know, this is horrible to listen to, practically as bad as this radio, and turn the radio up as high as you can so you both cover your ears. Your child won't require additional explanation and will understand straight away what they did wrong. 
they'll express themselves more quietly and respectfully in the future. It's your job to emphasize and encourage good behavior, not to reinforce their bad behavior by focusing on it. Use positive experiences to teach your child that you will only meet their wishes when they express themselves appropriately. I know this isn't an easy task, and despite your effort, your children will still sometimes stomp their feet and shout their demands. But I promise you, perseverance will pay off in time, and your children will start expressing themselves more respectfully. I wish you lots of luck and nerves of steel. Day 28. Amnesty. Many parents have told me that they've tried everything, nicely, harshly, punishments, rewards and consequences, to discipline their children. With especially disobedient, rebellious and strong-willed children, you find yourself imposing punishment after punishment and yet nothing works. You do everything, ground them, confiscate their computer, phone, games. In the end, they reply, And what are you going to do now? There's nothing else you can take away. The punishments pile up, being grounded for months on end, a year's worth of no screen time, and all of their toys have been thrown away. Because your children have nothing left to lose, they're not afraid of new punishments. You're in a checkmate position and don't have any leverage left to make demands or set rules. When you reach this point, there's only one option left. I call it amnesty. Amnesty means cancelling all the punishments that are currently in force, return their phones, computer, toys and unground them. Turn a new leaf and press the restart button. But a few things have to be arranged first. You should have a contract for all electronic devices. A good example of a phone or computer contract can be found in the email day 28. A restart doesn't mean that anything goes. Restart means trying to start with a new, better beginning. Carefully setting the rules, expectations, timetables, contracts and seeing how it turns out. You must also make clear that this is the first, last and only time this is happening. Amnesty only works once, otherwise it's just another permissive escape tactic. You'll also achieve the following. 1. Your children will get back the things that mean a lot to them. They'll have a more positive attitude about going into negotiations and agreements about the future. 2. They'll have something to lose again and you'll have better leverage for change. 3. You'll have the chance to lay down new rules and define your expectations and plans for the future in a more positive atmosphere. 4. You'll relax because all the punishments and negative experiences will fall away and you'll be able to breathe more freely again. If you've been imposing punishment after punishment but nothing has changed and you need a fresh start, try amnesty. This is the end of the last educational episode of the 28-day No Yelling Parenting Challenge extension. Thank you for your trust and for spending the last 28 days with me. I'd appreciate it if you answer this email and tell me your thoughts and opinions about the 28-day challenge and tell me how it went. What you enjoyed and what you didn't. If there was any advice you didn't need or that you didn't receive. What worked and what didn't. Wishing you all the best and good luck in the future.